Hey Rebels, uh, did you ever notice how the media uses the word controversial as uh, sort of a dumb code word for things they just don't like but they can't really marshal an argument against? The latest is the Edmonton Journal calling a free speech code at Keanu College. And by that, I'm not speaking Orwellian and ironically, it really is a code strengthening free speech. The Edmonton Journal calls that controversial. Yeah, mate, I don't think that's controversial. I think the opposite is controversial. I'll take you through it today. But before I do, can I encourage you to become a premium subscriber of The Rebel? Just go to therebel.media slash shows. And it's eight bucks a month or 80 bucks for the year. Type in podcast as a, as a coupon code, you get a discount. You also get Sheila's, uh, Sheila Gunn Reed shows and David Menzies shows. And, and what's fun about it is you get the video version of this podcast, which I like to think is better in every way other than you have to gaze upon me. All right, without further ado, here's the show. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, the first Alberta University officially implements a free speech pledge and the province's journalists complained. It's July 30th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. There's something wrong with the media when journalists are against free speech. I mean, you probably think I'm joking or using a dramatic metaphor, but no, these days, journalists are the most active censors out there. There's a whole genre of journalism around being a tattletale. By that, I mean not actually reporting the news, not shoe leather reporting, get up from your desk, go out into the world and find out what's going on. I mean, the kind of journalism that involves snitching on people you don't like, doxing people, as it's called. That's, that's when you publish private details about your political opponents, like they're home address, their bosses, name, that sort of thing. It's not journalism, really. It's anti-journalism. It's trying to stop people, shut them up, maybe even hurt them in some ways for having a different point of view. That's not journalism. Here's an example of that. Our friend Pamela Geller, who we've had on the show, well, a left-wing activist site that calls itself BuzzFeed News, so they claim to be news reporters, they thought it newsworthy to dig up the private details of Pamela Geller's daughters to embarrass them and get them both fired because BuzzFeed hates their mom. Mission accomplished, I get. BuzzFeed is trash journalism, though I think they revel in it, but CNN actually calls itself the most trusted name in news. Here they are going to a private citizen's home about a year and a half ago. A senior citizen, a, a little Jewish grandma in Florida, who posted a Facebook message about Donald Trump. That's literally all she did. And CNN went to her home cameras rolling, named and shamed her on international TV and said she was colluding with the Russians. Will you admit it? But you guys were involved with being patriotic, right? Very, very patriotic, but not... Being patriotic was the group that contacted and helped organize some of these activities that you posted on your own Facebook account. Th those were legitimate. Those were Russians. They were not Russians. I don't go with the Russians. That on, group was Russian. I have nothing to do with the Russians. The well, apparently you the did. Is that, is, that, is that journalism going to some grandma's house and saying we saw you post something on Facebook? No, I don't think that's journalism. Sorry, that's, that's not going to win you a Pulitzer. Well, actually, these days maybe. Well, that's, that's embarrassing and punishing a Trump supporter, a, a Florida grandma who just 
<laughs> dared to put something on Facebook, something Trumpy for her friends. CNN is a Democrat vengeance machine. I'm sorry, that was not journalism, folks. You're not gonna, you know, that's not the new Watergate. Grandma posts something on Facebook that's not quite right. The shocking footage that will bring down that Florida Bubby and Zadie. Let me, one last example, I've shown you this before. It's from a group ironically called Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. Talk about false advertising in their name. Last year, you recall, they literally started a petition to ban, to censor Donald Trump from speaking at the G7 conference held in Quebec. It was so insane that even the left-wing Toronto Star condemned them. I mean, just slow down for a second. Canadian journalists for free expression literally wanted to ban Donald Trump from speaking, including speaking to journalists. By the way, that's clown world. That's journalism today. Oh, one more thing about Canadian journalists for free expression. I hate saying that lie. When Ontario Premier Doug Ford said he wanted more freedom of expression on campus, more diversity of views, more open debate, fewer leftist safe spaces and trigger warnings and censorship, Canadian journalists for free expression attacked him. I'm not kidding. They oppose it. They deplore it. Those are the words they use. Look at that headline on their press release. Free expression groups oppose Ontario government plan for universities and colleges. Oh my God, it sounds like Doug Ford was coming to censor them. They actually don't mention in the headline <laughs> that it was a plan to increase free speech. They're so dishonest. They know they ought to be ashamed of themselves, but they're, they're not. Unbelievable, which brings me back to the news of the day. Jason Kenney's new government in Alberta is following Doug Ford's lead in Ontario and bringing in similar rules to enhance free speech in Alberta. Now, what, is, what does it mean, a rule to ban free speech? Isn't free speech sort of the opposite, a lack of rules? Well, that's the thing about a government institution. They need to be re reined in, constrained, put a straitjacket on them. They need to be limited in what they can do, or else, over time, like a weed, they'll just grow bigger and bigger and take over. In a university situation, that could mean, for example, banning student clubs, stopping them from registering, or, or stopping them from getting office space in the student union building, or, or renting rooms for events. That happens to pro-life clubs uh, in Canadian campuses all the time, by the way. It could mean the trick that they did on Lindsay Shepard when she wanted to speak on campus. They said, sure, you can, but you have to pay more than $10,000 in security fees. Of course, students already pay millions of dollars for in fees for campus security and then of course there's the regular police it's the university's duty to keep it a safe space and i don't mean safe from hurt feelings but actually safe from physical violence so when you say to a speaker sure you can come absolutely you just need to pay ten thousand dollars in security fees no 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 that's not really a security fee it's just a way of banning a speaker from your campus without having to be honest enough to say they're banned which is why universities need rules they need to be limited because in every university, both in the students' union level and the administration itself, there lurk plenty of would-be censors, and they probably don't even think of themselves that way. So that's what Doug Ford's doing in Ontario. He's telling campuses that if they censor their own students, they risk having Doug Ford take their money away. So Doug Ford obviously knows. What we all know is that universities care more about money than about principles of open debate in 2019. So that's where he gets them. He gets them by paying attention, by threatening their cash. It's smart. He's not lying about it being a security fee. He's telling the truth. If they don't believe in the free exchange of ideas, he really doesn't see the point in funding them because that's the point of universities. I agree. And so does Jason Kenney. And now, 
the first Alberta University to sign on with the free speech pledge, is a great little college in Fort McMurray called Keanu College. I had the pleasure of giving a pro-oil sense speech there once. The kids are great. And maybe it's not surprising that they're the first college to sign on in Alberta in a real city like Fort McMurray, hardworking town, pro-industry town, a town hurt by leftist politics. You probably have fewer social justice censors than you do, say, in the lefty paradise of Edmonton. So they're the first. Here's a story in the Edmonton Journal about it. Keanu College becomes first Alberta institution to publicly roll out Chicago Principles. And I'm not sure if you remember, but the Chicago Principles, that's the name given to a statement written by a number of scholars at the University of Chicago who were doing their best to outline a, a practical but principled free speech policy. It's, it's a really thoughtful document. It's so good, it's so well done that it's been adopted widely by other universities too because they just did such a good job. Here's what it looks like, it's very simple. It's just a three page document and, and like half of one page is just the people who signed it. Uh, I think I took you through most of this a, a few months ago, but let me just read to you one more time a key paragraph that I think just nails it. So here's from the Chicago uh, um, statement. Of course, the ideas of different members of the university community will often and quite naturally conflict. But it is not the proper role of the university to attempt to shield individuals from ideas and opinions they find unwelcome, disagreeable, or even deeply offensive. Although the university greatly values civility, and although all members of the university community share in the responsibility for maintaining a climate of mutual respect, Concerns about civility and mutual respect can never be used as a justification for closing off discussion of ideas, however offensive or disagreeable those ideas may be to some members of our community. You know, I, how can you disagree with that? I recommend you read the whole thing. I'll see if we can put a link to the Chicago uh, principles um, on the website under this video. You can see why so many leaders uh, around North America say, hey, just copy what they did in Chicago. So Keanu College is in, but the Edmonton Journal, they, they seem sort of mad about it. Let me read a little more. A Northern Alberta college has become the first post-secondary institution to officially adopt controversial freedom of speech rules ahead of an approaching deadline set out by the provincial government. Hang on, hang on. Co controversial? S says who? Is it, is it controversial to support free speech on a university campus? That, that's controversial? Not that censorship has become the norm. I love that word controversial. It really means nothing, does it? Other than a, a supporter, a, a reporter is trying to be negative but can't really make the case. Ooh, controversial. It's like a generic warning, but the kind of warning that says, I can't really articulate the problem, but just trust us, it's uh, controversial. Now, once upon a time, you could actually trust the Edmonton Journal. About 80 years ago, they won a Pulitzer Prize for standing up. It's right there in their lobby, by the way, it's amazing. Um, standing up to Bill Eberhardt, the Premier of Alberta, who passed a series of laws, can you believe it, that allowed the government to force newspapers to print government propaganda on their editorial page? See, if, if Eberhardt had been smart about it, he wouldn't have used the stick to force them to write his editorials. He'd have used a carrot, like Justin Trudeau. He'd have offered the Edmonton Journal its cut of a $600 million bailout, or whatever the equivalent would have been in 1938 dollars, and they would have censored themselves willingly for him. Anyways, that was then, this is now. Let me read from the journal today. Student groups had voiced concerns that schools weren't prepared. Huh? 
In May, the United Conservative Party announced its intention to follow in Ontario's footsteps by introducing the principles developed by the University of Chicago in 2014. They allow speakers on campuses to share their views no matter how unwelcome, disagreeable, or even deeply offensive they may be. They have been criticized by academics as benefiting more extreme and conservative speakers. So, so did you see that first part there? Schools aren't prepared for free speech? What does that even mean? Yeah, I think that means they need free speech good and hard then. If they're not prepared for it, they need it good and hard. Uh, what about the part about benefiting extreme and conservative speakers? Well, you know, on that last point, I, I suppose they're right. Since the majority of banned groups these days are conservative, I mentioned the pro-life clubs earlier, but if you read the Chicago Principles, which I doubt the Edmonton Journal has, even though it's only two and a half pages, the first example, the Chicago Principles site, is actually a, a communist, a leftist. Let me read. A student organization invited William Z. Foster, the Communist Party's candidate for president, to lecture on campus. This triggered a storm of protests from critics both on and off campus. To those who condemned the university for allowing the event, President Robert M. Hutchins responded that, quote, our students should have freedom to discuss any problem that presents itself. He insisted that the cure for ideas we oppose lies through open discussion rather than through inhibition. On a later occasion, Hutchins added that free inquiry is indispensable to the good life, that universities exist for the sake of such inquiry, and that without it they cease to be universities. So yeah, I guess to most academics and most journalists, when a leftist is barred from campus, that's censorship. But when a conservative is banned, that's just good hygiene. Let me quote you from the Keanu College statement itself. It's in point form. There's a little bit of wiggle room in it. We'll see how it's implemented. But I like these parts. Here, let me read a few. Community members have the right to criticize and question other views expressed on campus, but cannot obstruct or interfere with others' freedom of speech. And institutions should not attempt to shield students from ideas or opinions they disagree with or find offensive. Mutual respect and civility are valued, but do not constitute sufficient justification to limit free speech. I like it. I like it. I can hear the echoes of the Chicago principles in there, and I can see why leftists, Antifa thugs, and tattletale hall monitors, snitch-style journalists like BuzzFeed News would hate it. I mean, the whole point of doxing people is to shut them down, deplatform them, to ban them. And Keanu College is saying in advance that they're not going to accept that kind of behavior. You know, I made an observation to a friend the other day. Let me tell you a personal story. When I was at the Sun News Network, you probably know, I was sued or threatened with lawsuits every few months, frankly. Now, Sun News stood by me. They knew that if they surrendered even once, there would be a tidal wave of nuisance suits. So they held firm. And we never lost one lawsuit, although I should tell you, a couple of those lawsuits continue even to this day, nearly five years after the Sun shut down. But we've been here at the Rebel for almost five years. And I checked, and we've produced more than 12,500 videos so far. That's a lot. And we've only been sued twice. Uh, once in Canada and once in Australia. How could that be? I mean, we're just as editorially tough as we were back at Sun News. We're much smaller commercially than the mighty Quebec or the multi-billion dollar company that owns Sun News. So, so why aren't the bullies using lawfare against us more like, like they did back in the sun. Now, I, I don't want them to, but I was just curious, why, why aren't they? Well, here's one theory. Most of the lawsuits against Sun News, they, they weren't real at all. They, they probably didn't even expect to win. They, they probably didn't expect to go to trial. Like I say, there are, still are two going on, but 
more than a dozen lawsuits and complaints to the CRTC and just endless threats. They simply went nowhere. So, so why did people do them? I think the whole point of them was to harass not me, actually, but my bosses there, to stress the relationship between Sun and me, to cause stress there, to, to make it a headache and a cost and a time waster for everyone there, just to train them, to condition them into being less politically conservative, less pugilistic. It was a psychological operation, a psyops. Partly targeting me, but mainly targeting the bosses there, the corporate bosses, to make them associate, what's that word, controversy with me. Controversial commentator, Ezra Levant. Controversial networks on news. It was to harass Quebecor in the hope that they'd cut us loose. Now they didn't. <laughs> it took Stephen Harper's CRTC to kill Sun News. But here the rebel, um, there, there's no boss to hassle or stress. I, I mean, I guess I'm the boss, but really, I see our viewers as the boss. You're the ones who, who fund us. So the strategy of threatening us with lawsuits do, doesn't work as well. I, I suppose a lawsuit could kill us if it really hits home and we, we lose. But the process itself, us being the target of a nuisance suit, I don't think it demoralizes our people because we expect it and we know it's unfair. I think in some ways it revs our people up because it proves our point about leftists wanting to silence us instead of debate us. I mean, that thuggish elections commissioner in Alberta who's going after Sheila Gunn-Reed for her book, I mean, that might scare a big corporation that's risk-averse, but here to us, I, it just enrages me, and I think all of Sheila's fans, makes me want to fight harder. I think it makes our viewers want to fight harder. We're going to beat them, by the way. My point is what Keanu, here's, here's why I mentioned all that, is that what Keanu College is doing is removing the incentive, the process, removing the stress, removing the tactic, removing the strategy from the censorship left. Disrupting conservative speakers won't work anymore at Keanu College. Complaining to the media about Keanu College having a speaker won't work anymore. I mean, the media will have a tantrum, but they won't be able to pressure university administrators into blocking or deplatforming an event like they could. It'll actually change the economy of the harassment left. It takes the ability for them to censor away. It actually makes the left engage and debate if they care about something, or more likely just go back to their dorm rooms and smoke pot if they don't care about something, which most of the time they don't. I like Keanu College's new rules. And unlike the Edmonton Journal and the rest of the snitch journalists out there, I don't see it as controversial. I see those fake news journalists who think going to a grandma's home to grill her about a Facebook post, I see them as controversial. And based on the plummeting viewership of CNN and the plummeting readership of the Edmonton Journal, I think a lot of other people think the same way I do too. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, shocking news. I don't know if you saw it. Justin Trudeau has had nonpartisan senior civil servants. So I'm not talking about political appointees, but rather permanent bureaucrats pick up the phone and call independent pundits, commentators, former ambassadors to tell them to stop saying things about the fact that China still holds two Canadian hostages, or at least to stop saying things that might get in the way of Justin Trudeau's re-election. Joining us now to talk about this is our friend Lauren Gunter, senior columnist with the Edmonton Sun, who recently wrote a great article about this. It's in the Sun. The headline is, The Latest Liberal Affront to Free Speech. Lauren, great to see you. Good to see you. You know what? Um, 
I understand why liberal partisans would want the liberals to be reelected. That's their job. And I could even understand why maybe a campaign manager might call around um, and to pundits and say, hey, help us out. It would be a weird request. But I find it concerning, as I know you do too, that nonpartisan civil servants would be phoning professors and pundits and saying, hey, come on, you're saying the wrong thing. It's going to be hard for Trudeau to get reelected. That doesn't yeah. sound like the Canadian way. Yeah, no. Uh, I would call this inf inference, interference laundering. Uh, the, the government is trying to interfere in people's freedom of expression, but they don't want it to appear as though Trudeau or one of his direct minions is doing it themselves. They want it to appear as though uh, Global Affairs Canada, the old the old Foreign Affairs Department, is doing it. So they have an assistant deputy minister in Global Affairs phone uh, Brian or uh, David Mulroney. Uh, who is our no relation to Brian Mulroney, David Mulroney, uh, who's our former ambassador to uh, China, and Guy Saint-Jacques, who is another former ambassador to China, and say, you know, given the, these are direct quotes, election environment, yeah. we would be happier if you wouldn't say anything negative that would they come back negatively on the government. Well, mm -hmm. uh, there's there's so many things wrong with this. First of all, both men are academics now, so you're you're sort of meddling with academic independence. They're both private citizens now. They're no longer uh, uh, federal civil servants, and they don't take an oath that lasts for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. like if you if you are in the the intelligence services, there are things you cannot ever talk about. Period. Right. Doesn't matter how many years you've been out, how many years you've been retired. There are certain things you simply can't talk about. These guys aren't covered by any of that. They were, they were bureaucrats and diplomats. They, they, they weren't spies. Mm -hmm. so, so they're not covered by that. So those, that's wrong as well. The other thing that's wrong about this, and you may re you, you probably remember vividly, right after Trudeau was sworn in, I think it was two days after he was sworn in in 2015, mm -hmm. he went to the Pearson Block, which is the home of Canada's Foreign Affairs Department, now called Global Affairs. And there was a rock star reception for him. There's an atrium in the middle of the building, and people lined the outside of the balconies all the way up to the top of the building to cheer and yell and oh, hey, it's it's Justin Trudeau here. Oh, the bad mm -hmm. Stephen Harper days are gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think ever since that time. Uh, a large chunk of people in global affairs, not by any means all of the people in global affairs, but a large chunk of them have been quite happy to be uh, the diplomatic arm of the Liberal Party of Canada, not of the government of Canada. Yeah. Uh, and you remember, too, that David, uh, that uh, John McCallum, the, the minister that that uh, the, the Liberals had to lean on to, to leave, they had to pressure him to leave, even though they didn't, I don't think they really wanted him to leave. Uh, he was advising the uh, Chinese government on things it could do to help the liberals get reelected in, in Canada. So it's, a, it's very incestuous. It's, it's, a, it's a, a snake pit. Yeah. Uh, of, of counter influences and influences and meddling and and that's just the latest of the, the the liberal efforts to limit free speech. You know, and it's the worst when it comes to China. Of course, Jean Chrétien, whose son-in-law is uh, the head of the Demare companies, um, right. huge investors in China. Jean Chrétien went to work in China with the Chinese government 
just a few weeks after stepping down from Parliament, like a few weeks, not months or years, I, I find it implausible that he wouldn't have been preparing for that while he was still PM. You mentioned John McCallum giving advice to the Chinese government. Just a few months ago, he was supposed to be our ambassador right. giving advice to our government. These guys are playing both sides of the table. Now, what I like, you mentioned David Mulroney, and when people hear Mulroney, they think Brian Mulroney, but as you point out, no, no relation. I enjoy following him on Twitter. He's very much seized with the Chinese challenge right now. He yep. seems very thoughtful. I, have, I, mean, I don't know him in any other context. He, he points out how Canada is not having either a principled or a pragmatic approach. Like, I, yep. I really find him a source of wisdom. He reminds me of our old friend Charles Burton, who also loves the hope of China, but he's not blinded by cinephilia right. or something. Yeah. Yeah, not, the, not like John McCallum. I mean, John McCallum uh, boasted about the fact that he has a, a Chinese wife and that he was given a Chinese name. Yeah. And and he would refer to himself sometimes by his Chinese name. Yeah. Uh, and he was given that name by Chinese officials. Uh, so what's what we're looking at here, and this kind of gets off the, the free speech topic, but what we're looking here at global affairs now is that the people who are running things, uh, who are liberal sycophants, mm -hmm. uh, are also amateurs yeah. at this. Like, it's like David Moroni didn't always give Stephen Harper the advice Harper wanted to hear. He didn't work to try and get the conservatives reelected. He understood that we are a small uh, fish were a real underdog when you're taking on China. But there are things you can do that the Chinese don't like that make them you know, think twice about leaning on you. And, and you know, there is a pragmatic debate to be had within the, the federal government in the Justice Department, Global Affairs, Prime Minister's office about what we do with the Huawei executive that we are keeping under uh, house arrest in Vancouver in, in until she gets an extradition hearing to the United States. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? Uh, can we lean on? Could we lean on the Germans, for instance, to lean on the Chinese to to back off on on our uh, two people? I, you know, I don't know those uh, answers. But they know those answers. There's lots of people who are very, very smart, who work at foreign affairs in, in uh, Ottawa, who have dealt with this problem that we have, being a country of 36 million, up against giant economies and giant countries. And how do we deal with that? They know that. But but Trudeau and, and Christian Freeland, their, their belief is that, uh, you know, they just virtue signal. Yeah. They, they 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 tweet and and that's going to make everything go away. And it's just funny because you know they they're they cringe when you compare them to Donald Trump, but they conduct an awful lot of foreign policy with no more forethought nor any more depth of of awareness and PR than Trump does. Well, and just look at the effectiveness. I mean, uh, generally in foreign affairs, Trump gets yep. what Trump wants. Yep. Whether it's getting NATO countries to spend more on the military or, or I mean, we don't know how the story's going to end with North Korea, but he's certainly made more progress than Obama has. I don't know. Yep. I think the test of good intentions is good results. And I don't even see, uh, I, I can't name a single country in the world whose relations with Canada are better now than they were before. No, no. And not and, even and, Cuba and, or Iran, by the way. Not, because of the, not their fault, our fault. Yeah. We've annoyed the so the Saudis. We've annoyed the Russians. We've annoyed the the India. Uh, uh, India, big time. We annoyed India. I mean, Brazil. 
Yeah. Okay, so you say, well, you know, who cares? What? So what about it? The, the Saudis are, are, are now being run by a man who looks to the West like he might be more westernized and, and more liberal, but clearly is not. Mm. Um, so why not poke them in the eye? Well, because you have to deal with countries on a long-term basis, not a gotcha basis, not a ha, 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 see yeah. what we did to you. Yeah. And I just think we're, we're dealing now with people who are so smug, yeah. who have, have such high uh, impressions of themselves, such, such high opinions of themselves, that they, they think the world is waiting, yeah. not just Canada is waiting, but the world sits breathless at the hem of Justin Trudeau to hear what the yeah. great man has to yeah. say next. And it just, that's just not happening. You know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Brazil. Their, their president, Jair Bolsonaro, very interesting guy, powerful, very Trumpy, very pro-Trump. Uh, reminds me a little bit of that Italian interior minister, uh, uh, Matteo Salvini. Bolsonaro, you can like him or not, but he won a majority of the votes in Brazil and he's making things happen. When he was elected, the press release by the Canadian government was so snippy, mm -hmm. it didn't yeah. even con it didn't even mention him by name, let alone congratulate him. It was it was so passive aggressive. And then remember when Trudeau was sitting between the Chinese president and the Brazilian <laughs> president, and Trudeau was so desperate that he he reached over to shake Bolsonaro's hand. Bolsonaro had no, has no idea who Trudeau was, but if he bothered to know, he would see. Knew, oh, there's the snippy enough. guy. There's the. He knew enough to turn his back on him. Yeah. he knew who he was. And, and that's um, a, that's the point because for the purpose of one snippy press release, if yeah. we would have with showed some professional restraint, then maybe we could have had Bolsonaro's help getting our Canadian hostages back, but we just you know, couldn't restrain it, ourselves. Or, or we'd have smoothed over some of our other trade problems that we're having with Brazil right now. I, you know, I think the only people who can probably help us get our hostages out of China are the Americans, and I'm not convinced that that they're full, fully behind us, and they should be because we did the arrest that they requested of us. Yeah the extradition of, of uh, Maine. Uh, so they should be behind. But, you know, there have been two or three or four times where, where Trudeau or Christian Freeland have been rude in public about Trump, dismissive, sneering, mm -hmm. snide. And he's saying probably to his, his uh, justice and state to people, Ah, just ignore the Canadians. You know, yeah. they, they, we don't really need them. They need us more than than we need them. And just let it go. Yeah. Um, and and that doesn't have to happen. I, I mean, Harper didn't get dismissed by Obama, even though the two of them were miles apart yeah. on on policy, because they dealt with each other professionally. They dealt with each other courteously and intelligently. Yeah. This group at, at, in 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 the Liberal government does not do that. It doesn't think through. Yeah. The response it would have yeah. if it was on the receiving end of the same virtue signaling that it seems to think the rest of the world needs. Yeah. Let me come back to one last thing, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Um, we've been talking. I mean, there's so much to talk about here, and, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Okay. I want to come back to the headline of your piece, the latest liberal affront to free speech. Let me zero in on one thing, and you mentioned it in passing, but I'd like to go back there again. You mentioned that the that the senior civil servant, the assistant deputy minister, so that's pretty high up the food chain yep. in, again, this is a civil servant, this is the per, the permanent bureaucracy. The politicians come and go and their political staff come and go, but these guys are supposed to stick around, conservative, liberal, whatever, they do their job honestly. But this guy was making errand 
was, was running an errand for Trudeau, and he wasn't saying, hey, don't say this in public because it could jeopardize the lives of the hostages. You yep. could dispute that, but that could, be a, that could be a legitimate reason for an assistant deputy minister to call someone up and say, look, we have information that what you've done has put them in jeopardy. Please don't. Okay, I mean, yep. I might be irritated by that, but that's your objective. But when you say it's for, as you point out in your article, quote, election environment, you have transformed the permanent bureaucracy of this country into an election team mate. That, that's nothing new for these guys. It, you take a look at Michael Warnick, the retired former uh, clerk of the Privy Council, who was spearheading a lot of the pressure being put on Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, last fall to, to cut SNC-Lavalin a deal. That's not the role of the clerk of the Privy Council. I worked with two clerks when I was in Ottawa in the 80s. Both of them would have said to the prime minister, if the prime minister had said, look, I want you to phone the justice minister and put pressure on her to, to make this deal. Both of them would have said, Mr. Prime Minister, she's your minister, not mine. I will deal with the deputies if that's what needs to be done. But ministers are the responsibility of the prime minister. And second, sir, there is a law in the country that prevents us from making, uh, putting this kind of pressure on the attorney general when it comes to an independent prosecution. And I would recommend strongly, sir, that you not put pressure on her either, mm -hmm. but not Wernick. Yeah. Warnick was right out there. And, yeah. and, and then the liberals want to appoint him as one of the five guardians of our election yeah. uh, when it comes to looking for interference from foreign countries. Yeah. I think it, they, they just have no concept yeah. of what freedom of expression means or what yeah. independence of thought means. Can I leave you with one uh, anecdote? And, I, and I've, I did a little show on this a few months ago. I was watching Karina Gould, the Democratic Institutions Minister in um, Parliamentary Committee, answering some questions about this five-man internet censorship panel that Michael Wernick was going to chair, which is terrifying. And she was asked several times for examples of when they would weigh in. I thought that's a good question. And she gave an answer two or three times, the same answer. She said the Macron leaks situation in France. And Macron, of course, is the, is the new president over there. And just a couple weeks before their election, all of his campaign emails were hacked or leaked or something. They were all published. And there was a lot of very embarrassing information, deals, payoffs, private conversations that were insulting. None of it was fake. It was just leaked. And it absolutely was news in the same way Hillary Clinton's emails were news or WikiLeaks is news. It just was embarrassing for Emmanuel Macron. So the French government ordered French media not to report on it, and they didn't. But it was truthful, and it was relevant to voters. The French government just said, no, 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 we're gonna protect our chosen one. That was the specific example given by Trudeau's cabinet minister of when they would intervene. Of, of, of a good intervention. Yeah, oh yes, yes. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She, a, was saying if, she, she was saying if there was some embarrassing leak that was truthful, relevant to the public interest, important to the election, they would step in to protect, to protect Trudeau. She said this. She said this, Lauren. And, yeah. and by the way, the conservatives just sort of shrugged and said, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know but you know, you know what's going to happen if, if this sort of thing gets some traction. Uh, you know, regulating social media or having election watchdogs. 
someone's going to say, look, I don't believe much in the positive side of multiculturalism, or I think that illegal immigration is is leading to all sorts of problems in Canada, or I am skeptical about the science behind climate change alarmism. I mean, there are all sorts of issues about which the progressives uh, feel so strongly that their side is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And, and they will try and eliminate those messages yeah. from the public square. That's what that's what frightens me ultimately about yeah. all of it. Well, it frightens me because I think they'll come for me first, yes. and then I'll come well, for you. They'll come for you second, yep. my friend. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for spending so much time with us. We covered a wide range of subjects, but you're always yep. such a fan favorite. It's always nice to have you, Lauren. Okay, you bet. All right, thanks, my friend. Bye bye. All right, there you have it. By the way, I recommend Lawrence Collins all the time in the sun, but it's great when we have a chance to talk with him about it. All right, stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologues yesterday about a burqa-clad woman shouting shame at a pride parade in the UK. Susanna writes... London is the canary in a coal mine when it comes to the implementation of Sharia law. I would call it the boiling frog phenomenon. By the time Londoners release it, realize it's too hot, it'll be too late. Well, Susanna, I'm going to disagree with you only one regard, and that is um, London's like the, the, the 20th canary in the coal mine. I would put Paris ahead of that. I'd put Rotterdam in Holland ahead of that. I would put Malmo, Sweden, far, far, far ahead of that. And of course, why just focus on the last generation? I mean, as I point out from time to time, Egypt was a Christian country once. Now, maybe 10% of the people left there are Coptic Christians. Constantinople was once the largest city in the world, the wealthiest city in the world. It was the seat of an empire. Um, now it's called Istanbul, and the Hagia Sophia was turned into a mosque and now a museum. Yeah. So, uh, London is maybe the latest canary in the coal mine, but it's certainly not the first. James writes, if this was a Christian, they would already be in jail. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think about our friend Tommy Robinson. Uh, simply for asking rapists as they go into uh, court on Judgment Day, how do you feel about your verdict today? Not shouting, not swearing, not blocking. How do you feel about your verdict today? Well, that's a nine-month prison term. Now, they claimed it was impeding and prejudicing the trial. That's not true. The trial was over. Prison for him. There was a guy named uh, James Goddard in the UK called a lefty politician a Nazi. That's all he said, called her a Nazi. It's not true. It's mean. Um, he, he just got a criminal conviction. Um, this burqa-clad Muslim woman crying shame. The police apparently detained her yesterday. I don't believe she'll be charged. And if she's charged, I don't believe she'll be prosecuted. I just don't. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I don't think justice in the UK is blind anymore. Connie writes, in June 2019, a Toronto man was arrested and held in jail overnight for preaching on the street in a gay village. This in a country that supposedly values free speech. A month or so later, a Muslim woman is in London, in London is screaming at gay people on the street, calling them shameful, and nothing at all will happen to her. I think you're talking about Reverend David Lynn at the Gay Pride Parade, and I saw that. He wears a body cam. We helped David Lynn about four or five years ago when he was arrested for, they called it busking, he was preaching at Young and Dundas Square. I haven't talked to him in a few years, but I see he's in a pickle again. And he was just, I, I saw the videotape and he was not being abusive or rude. I mean, he was having a message of, of love, like he's, yeah, I mean, he's Christian, but he wasn't abusive. He was actually arrested 
The better comparison I would have was when David accosted that um, Muslim extremist at the Al-Quds Day protest, who said, I want Sharia law in Canada, and under Sharia law, gays will be executed. He just said, he wasn't even saying it in a hateful, threatening way. He just said, oh yeah, that's, that's going to be what we do here. Um, that's, that's a contrast. I mean, welcome, welcome to the madness of, of the world. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.